Today's readings are Isaiah 35, 1 through 10, and Matthew 11, 2 through 11. They can be found on pages 662 and 899 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the, of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame deer le- then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of grace and goodness, come into this room sitting 
all looking up and listening to the same words, but coming from different places. And we might be coming from dark places of doubt and question and gloom. We might be coming with, with a question, why am I even here this morning? Was it a mistake to come along with a friend or a person that invited me? Um, we might come and we might just say, I'm not in the mood today, but I'm here. So maybe there's some little window of openness somewhere, and maybe there's a lot of openness in others as we sit here with joy or thankfulness or looking forward to the holiday season. Whatever the case may be, may we acknowledge that we're all in the same boat, that we're more of a mess than we care to admit, more flawed and broken and fragmented than we want people to know about us, and that's true universally. And at the same time as we as we acknowledge that, may we also experience today your love that reaches out into flawed lives so that even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, we walk away saying, and we are loved and accepted more than we ever imagined and dreamed because of Jesus. Whether that's just a theoretical concept to us this morning or something we are experiencing or have experienced deep down in our bones Bring it again. Bring the wind of that grace into our lives and transform us, we pray, in this time. Amen. <clears throat> it was the summer of 98. Um, bear with me as I do a little more reading this morning than I normally do. The message came to me in kind of a different shape and form this week. So it was the summer of 98, and I was living in the South Texas sunshine and suffocating humidity living just blocks away from my then-girlfriend, Lisa, who was becoming fluent in Spanish, working as a nurse in a border city hospital. We'd take day trips to Reynosa, Mexico, um, for authentic food and unheard-of prices on all kinds of amazing treasures. I learned that I don't have the right DNA to work a restaurant job in the summer of 98. I also learned what Tejano music is and watched a lot of salsa dancing, and didn't join in. We, we took early morning walks before the uh, insufferable heat arrived at around 9 a.m., and on those walks one day we rescued a kitten from a roof, named him Rufus, of course, and he eventually became the pet that was with us through all the adventures of our early married years and travels. Uh, I bought my wife an engagement ring, in the summer of 98, and presented it to her at the Alamo. <laughs> I know. So. Seemed a good idea at the time. The summer of 98. <clears throat> and a symbolic event that represents the summer of 98 was our trip up to Austin to see and attend a Fish concert. Fish was the hippie jam band in the tradition of the Grateful Dead, fans caravanning along to make it to every show along the tour and then breaking out mini notepads to jot down the title of each song, no two set lists are alike for Fish. So there was good food, mostly good smells, great, great music, and the friendliest crowd of 4,000 people you could ever ask to be in the middle of, all singing along word for word to each song. It was a symbolic microcosm of summer 98. And perhaps that's the sort of goodness we're supposed to connect with when Isaiah 35 says, the redeemed will enter Zion with singing. 
You have a moment in life like that? Maybe it's not a whole summer. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's a season. Maybe it's a, a week. Maybe it's a couple of weeks. Maybe it's 10 seconds at one point in your life. Maybe after years of job searching and unemployment, you are sitting down at a desk that is yours and planning your week around the fact that you now have a commitment to deal with between nine and five, and you like that. Or you have a moment of clarity and soul calmness as you arrive at the peak of your hike near Lake Tahoe. Something clicks inside of you that you can't quite describe, but it makes a tangible difference in your life for the next several months. You finally get that long weekend off, and you end up working in your yard with your favorite music or podcast in your ear after months being glued to a screen in a cubicle. Or maybe after such a long time, a torturously long time of being single, you finally meet someone. And the delight of it was absolutely breathtaking. The euphoria, the euphoria of it, though certainly short-lived, was almost intoxicating with the goodness of waking up every day knowing this new person was in your life. Or maybe it's the first solid meal after a two-day fast or a seven-day cleanse. A hug from a spouse who was gone for two weeks and frisky things whispered mid-embraced. <clears throat> Getting lost in the absorbing plot climax of Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or The Catcher in the Rye, The Great Gatsby. A live performance of Handel's Messiah. Can you think of one moment in your life like that? Just something really good. Goodness. Goodness that you are experiencing like a blind person receiving sight, a crippled leg healed, skin disease vanishing, death reversing itself, a hint of all of those things, like a person in poverty receiving really good news. In a world that we live in where there's so much longing and waiting and gloom, we have to also admit that these moments exist, don't they? The kind of goodness Jesus is giving and expressing to the followers of the imprisoned John the Baptist and saying, bring the message of this goodness back to him. Mind you, while John the Baptist is in prison, (laughs) waiting for his death in jail. We can plainly see just by that little interaction that, that there's contrary experiences. There aren't just those good ones that I just described, but there's contrary ones that have many of us much of the time looking around at the world with gloom, looking at joy through eyes of great skepticism and doubt, losing motivation to even put forth effort to believe in the experience of goodness or joy or delight. Advent words include um, expectation, certainly, but even more so at the middle of it is longing and waiting. You often find yourself with the same question, whether it's Advent or spring break, quite frankly. If, if there is a good God, where is he, and why aren't we experiencing more of this supposed goodness of God? Frederick Beekner, a great author <clears throat> and Christian, put it like this. Why do people come to church? As much as anything else, it is their experience of the absence of God that has brought them there in search of his presence. In the absence of God, or and the absence of God, is just that which is not livable. 
the world hides God from us, or we hide God from we hide ourselves from God, or for reasons his own, God hides himself from us. But however you account for it, he is most he is often more conspicuous by his absence than by his presence. And his absence is much of what we labor under and are heavy laden by. I don't know what you think of that quote. Maybe it comforts you or maybe you hate it. But um, some of your own answers to last week's question express the same kind of sentiment. The question was, what gets in the way of believing God is good? And the answers were, he lets us do cruel and devastating things to each other. Or just one word, suffering. Or the fact that people are born disabled or diseased. The exact same things underlie uh, our story that was read from Matthew. People know of Jesus, and yet he's not the goodness they were expecting. Even John the Baptist is skeptical, and he knows two things. He knows that he has a calling to be God's mouthpiece to announce Jesus and the coming of Jesus, and he also knows that he has been unjustly put in prison. Sit with that for a minute. I mean, he knows his calling is to serve God. It's been, it's been a tough haul. He hasn't been liked by most people. And then he gets put in prison before he's seen any of the goodness or glory that he thought was going to come of it. And we all know a third thing by reading on that he would soon be executed as entertainment at Herod's party. King Herod, king of the Jews. <clears throat> and on top of it all, John hears while he's in prison that Jesus is not preaching justice and condemnation but he's going around preaching mercy to a lot of common folk. And all this seems to lead John to feel the absence of God and the longing and the waiting of a messed up world to the point that he's wondering if cousin Jesus isn't the one after all. And all the crowds of onlookers and spiritual inquirers seem to be wondering the same thing as well and thinking to themselves, what is needed is for a guy like Jesus to gather into a revolt. I mean, we'll, we'll rally to that. We can topple Herod with force and put someone like Jesus or John the Baptist on a throne. Jesus, king of the Jews, not Herod. But this young carpenter's healings and words of grace and the multiplication of food and the healing of crazy people, his preaching about peacemakers and turning the other cheek, it wasn't cutting it. Everyone could see that it was bad strategy for an uprising to usurp Herod's throne. And so at this point in Jesus' life, it seems like a lot of people are thinking, maybe we should return to our longing and waiting. We probably bet on the wrong horse, and we're probably going to live joyless lives to our graves. People were thinking it. John the Baptist, if you read about him at all, he was willing to come out and say it. John the Baptist is never shy to say things, so the question everyone is wondering comes from him. Should we expect someone else? Rather than defensively taking issue with the comprehensive lack of support, Jesus does something remarkable. And it's a very legitimate question coming at Jesus, if you look at it from one side. A very kind of offensive and unsupportive comment, if you look at it from Jesus' point of view. And he just confidently responds by quoting Isaiah 35 a chapter of the Bible that tells of an ecstasy-like experience of God's goodness. 
I mean, nobody is feeling it. Nobody's experiencing Isaiah 35. But Jesus says, this is what I'm going to quote. Practically every verse in Isaiah 35 gives a different image of how good God is and how wonderful your experience of his goodness will be until it reaches its climactic finish that was on the screen. The redeemed will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what he refers to when they come with their skepticism about experiencing goodness right now, the goodness of God. And Jesus quotes a part of the middle of Isaiah 35, and, there, and these are the things he is actually doing. He's, he's actually doing parts of Isaiah 35, giving sight to blind people, hearing to deaf people, healing people born disabled or diseased. His reply is bold, it's confident, It's self-assured. Jesus says, God's goodness has come. You can experience it now. It's all happening around you. I want you to think about that. Jesus has arrived. I'm talking about 2,000 years ago now. Jesus has arrived and Christians came to talk about this as the true light that gives light to the world. Yet in the middle of his ministry, the gloom was overtaking people and they were convinced they weren't experiencing the goodness of God. The arrival of the good God himself didn't seem good enough to a lot of people. And maybe you thought in, at some point in your journey, you know, wow, if I was amidst all those ancient spiritual stories, you know, like the ones... <clears throat> that happened around the time of Jesus, um, surely my faith would feel more vibrant. Surely it would be easier to believe and have hope and to know things like Bible people say, like the Lord is good and his love endures forever. I wouldn't be so sure. Are you sure that it would be any easier? And perhaps it's true for us just as it was for them the same, that... We ask, is lavish goodness available? Can we experience it now? And the answer is yes. But I think that um, we probably most often are underestimating the work that it's going to take on our part, the laboring that God needs to put us through to be in touch with the goodness that's available. Um, And let me just mention two things as we close. First of all, one kind of work is being willing to go out to the desert. Jesus talks about it. What did you go out to the wilderness to see, he says. Isaiah gives the image of a desert becoming fruitful, inexplicably a place where water and springs are available and flowers are blooming And I think it's no secret around followers of Jesus that our desert experiences bring fruitfulness in our spiritual lives. This is what I mean when I say we underestimate the work that it might end up taking on our part to experience the lavish goodness of God. No one longs for the desert. No no one does. No one longs to be in a wilderness time in their journey. 
But if you know God and long for his goodness, you actually do learn to tolerate and possibly even welcome wilderness times. So that's the first piece of work maybe that's involved. The second is, the second is adjusting expectations. <clears throat> even someone like John the Baptist's expectations were a few clicks off. It looks like he probably expected Jesus to speak truth to power and preach divine retribution on all levels, especially to Herod. John couldn't imagine any other kind of Messiah. And Jesus basically says, with his words and actions, now, John's the greatest there ever was, but vengeance is not my role. Mine is mercy and healing. Sometimes, I think if we're honest, you and I, can't imagine any other kind of Messiah than what we have constructed in our minds. We can't imagine God being good for us in any other way than the way we kind of planned him to be good for us. We actually need Jesus to define himself for us, not the other way around. And one of the reasons we need to adjust our expectations and be ready for some of these surprises is because the most important thing about Jesus that all the stories about him point to and all the writings later about him look back to is the big surprise. (laughs) It's a surprise to every one of us that he ends up bending divine retribution on himself, the vengeance of Isaiah 35 and the justice of John the Baptist. Where does it all go? Jesus the Messiah is so good to you and me that he diverts it away from you and me and absorbs it himself on the cross. So all of this in closing is to say, this is why Jesus says to people then and he says to you now, if you come here this morning and if your imagination tells you that there is such a thing as a lavish goodness of God, Jesus says... Don't look any further. Come to me, and you'll find it. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Let's pray. God of grace, help us whether we doubt greatly in your goodness or if we have been blessed enough to see our lives as a story that has been punctuated by experiences and expressions of your goodness. Be with all of us, especially now as we have a chance in the time of communion to interact bodily with your goodness and to be served with the unexpected grace that you bring. Please flood this community and these lives that are represented here and the families that we're connected to that we might go off to in the next couple of weeks. Bless us with a flood of your grace and understanding and forgiveness. Dial back our forced expectations and make us receptive to newness 
and to the unexpected surprises of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.